to the Presently Engaged podcast. I am Mandy Pollock, and I'm really glad you're here. In this special edition of the podcast, I will be sharing a chapter from my book, The Question Habit. You can listen in and you can get the book yourself at thequestionhabit.com or on Amazon. You friend, you are making a difference. Chapter one. What's so great about questions anyway? We are perishing for want of wonder, not for want of wonders. G.K. Chesterton. We called it the giant red tomato. A Dodge Ram 12 passenger van took my large and boisterous family of nine where we needed to go. I preferred sitting the farthest away from the driver in the back left seat on the third row. The bench directly behind the driver's seat, we called those the talking seats. If you had something to say, something to share, something to ask, you plopped yourself there. In those seats, you became a part of adult conversation, engaged with the events of the day and a party to hear all the news passed between the parents. But from my seat in the back? From my seat, you could immerse yourself in a book, a daydream, or watch the cars go by. From my seat, you were safe from questions like, how are you? Or what do you think about? Or how do you feel when? Insecure in myself and my perspective of the world, questions made me uncomfortable. I didn't like being asked questions because I wasn't sure if people would like the answer. And if they didn't like the answer, did it mean they didn't like me? Oh, how I wish I could go back to my apprehensive eight-year-old or 12-year-old or 17-year-old self and say that it's okay. It's okay for questions to be hard. It's okay to wrestle with different answers to the same set of questions. And it's grand to draw closer to the person asking the questions as a result. To be known, to feel secure and safe in a relationship filled with questions. Well, that's a beautiful thing. My dad is not the kind of guy to let someone fade into the background. So while I made myself perfectly content in my backseat existence, dad consistently, tenaciously, and lovingly invited me to the front bench. Even on a short drive, my dad used a car ride to stay connected to each of his kids individually. As I grew, I discovered something I found sneakily awesome. If I asked the questions first, then someone else did the talking. Thus, I found myself in the back left seat thinking of questions I could ask the next time a parent asked me to join him or her in the talking seat. You wouldn't know it now, but I was a painfully shy child. Asking questions became a way to direct attention away from me and toward another. But something happened. As my dad patiently, kindly, and determinedly asked questions, my answers solidified. Grappling with questions in my own head, sputtering the words out, and practicing again and again in a safe space helped me become comfortable with who I was, what I believed, and what I didn't know I didn't know. It took years, and it didn't come to a place of security until adulthood, but it happened. Asking questions is still a technique I use to get other people talking. Along the way, though, I began to get little hints of the awesomeness of others and how questions serve as bridges for dialogue to begin knowing someone else. 
Questions became a way to nudge the conversation toward heart-to-heart discussion, to a back-and-forth dialogue that brings who we most fully are into the light without judgment or shame. It's a place where those who know us best and love us most offer safety. Rather than using questions as a fear-based tactic to avoid the spotlight, I see them now as an opportunity to highlight God's work in conversations. No, questions aren't always comfortable. Many worthwhile endeavors are not. I still squirm a bit sitting in the talking seat, but I've learned to value when someone asks me a question and then takes the time to actually listen. As you listen to this audiobook, I hope you come to agree that questions are necessary, growing, and inspiring. The power of the question is transformative. We get to know each other by asking questions. When those questions come from a desire to know who the other person truly is, we enter a secure and resilient relationship. The resulting answers can lead to the divine superglue, which holds a relationship together. Seize the day. You live full, busy days. Think of your life like a story made up of paragraphs, sentences, and words. Holidays, celebrations, birthdays, and red-letter days provide the punctuation marks. The regular days of work and errands, laundry, wiping the countertops, managing projects and task lists, and people asking for and giving help become the letters and the words. No one wants to read a book made up solely of punctuation marks. It communicates only frantic extremes. The best part of the story move forward through the words making up the book. Our mundane moments, simple though they may be, are the holy times of which life is made. Paul gives great advice in Ephesians 5:15 through 17. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Seize the day. Life is short. You only live once. If I let myself, I get overwhelmed by the precious urgency of the now. This moment before me right here will never be repeated. Today's choices affect the situations I'll live tomorrow. As someone who desires to live intentionally and know my people well, I know every single day with my three children is an irreplaceable gift. The second hand ticks louder and I can almost hear life slipping by. Even in the hardest moments, I know that collection of moments represents a grace flowing one way and the direction of time. And then, then I resent the mundane, all those things masquerading as time wasters in the way of living a purposeful life. For me, project updates, making meals, helping with homework, doing laundry, cleaning, and mowing the lawn all feel like time wasters. However, resenting the mundane spills over to resenting the little messmakers themselves, the children, the spouse, and even myself. For you, the mundane may be driving to work, running errands, idling in the school pickup line, doing yard projects, or even exercising. What if you could find ways to maximize and enjoy both the magical and the mundane? Four opportunities to love and listen. 
I love Ephesians 5, 11 through 16 and Eugene Peterson's The Message. Don't waste your time on useless work, mere busy work, the barren pursuits of darkness. Expose these things for the sham they are. It's a scandal when people waste their lives on things they must do in the darkness where no one will see. Rip the cover off those frauds and see how attractive they look in the light of Christ. Wake up from your sleep. Climb out of your coffins. Christ will show you the light. So watch your step. Use your head. Make the most of every chance you get. These are desperate times. How do you then make the best use of time? How can you make the most of every chance you get? How does one redeem errands and laundry and cooking dinner and clocking in and out? We find a wonderful answer nestled in Deuteronomy 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. The first words, hear, O Israel, are so timeless that in Hebrew, the first word, Shema, translated in English as hear, gives these verses the name, the great Shema, in the Jewish faith tradition. Hear, pay attention, understand. Hearing, then, includes giving attention, seeking to understand, and discerning. It's active listening, so let's give attention, seek to understand, and discern as we ponder loving the Lord for a moment. These are straightforward words. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. How, though? How do you love the Lord your God? What does that look like daily? Books written on this subject fill entire shelves, but love is not solely a feeling, an emotion, or a sentiment. Love does. Love puts the action to your attitudes and spirit to your sentiment. Bob Goff says it this way, love is never stationary. In the end, love doesn't just keep thinking about it or keep planning for it. Simply put, love does. Let's peek at the verses in Deuteronomy 6 again to get some hints of what love in action looks like. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9. Here you have four perfect opportunities to love the Lord and to express his love to those the Lord placed in your life. When you sit in your house, walk by the way, lie down, and rise. Teach them diligently does not mean you sit and I talk, or you rise and I talk. It sharpens like iron sharpening iron. It fills with courage. It supports someone as they seek to rightly handle God's word. The times you diligently teach holds potential for questions that build relationships as well. Questions, in fact, are one of the most important tools for teaching diligently and effectively. 
What if you took a typical day and overlaid your schedule onto the verses from Deuteronomy? It's a straightforward exercise for those of us raising children or teens. If you are in another stage of life, however, consider viewing these verses and opportunities throughout the day as a mentor in the role that you are in. One, when you rise. As a believer, you carry the Holy Spirit within you, including that gray zone between waking up and drinking your first cup of coffee. My husband and I sing a simple song to wake up our children. Good morning, God, this is your day. I am your child, show me your way. Our first touch is a chance to share love intentionally. No children in your life? Find some. The children in Deuteronomy 6-7 include both literal and figurative children and encompass children, grandchildren, youth, the people of a nation, or members of a group. When you rise, how can you share the love of Jesus with those in your house? It can be as simple as asking with care, how are you? How did you sleep? How can I pray for you today? Perhaps you live alone or with roommates. If this is the case, how can you implement when you rise encouragement? How might you implement talking of God's words as part of your morning routine? It could be as simple as sharing with someone what you read in your time with God that morning, or sending a courageous text to someone you are praying for, or journaling or blogging with the intent to share highlights as God directs. Two, when you walk by the way, everyone has a role to play. God calls us to work. No matter your role, student, parent, teacher, computer programmer, or wait staff, your days are filled with commitments. The walking by the way moments reflect the opportunity to mentor and encourage those God brings into our sphere of influence. Teaching can occur naturally through conversations and questions. As you walk by the way and interact with people, take the time to look them in the eyes and connect. Consider other types of feedback, such as body language and eye contact. Asking, how are you, often receives a rote answer. Instead, try asking, how is life treating you these days? Or, how are you right now? Something as simple as using different words can signal that you are interested in both the answer and in him or her as a person. Follow through by showing yourself trustworthily interested in the answer to the question you asked. Be open to how God might be including you in the work he is doing in their lives. You may have the opportunity to share a verse God impresses on your heart for them, or text a song you believe is perfect for where they are right now. Can you take the questions deeper in a way that opens the conversation to a heart-to-heart -heart level? Three, when you sit in your house. God designed our bodies to need food and rest. I often wonder why God designed us with a need to sleep and eat. Why spend a third of our days sleeping and another chunk of time preparing meals and then eating them? What does it look like for you to take a breath and sit down? God does not need food or rest. He made us in his image and yet he designed us to require these things. Could it be that he knew our tendency to rush and our inclination to ignore the need for a break? Knowing this, did he give us these times for refueling and rest with the hidden purpose of community and discipleship? 
I'm from a big Czech family and my husband's heritage hails from Greece. If food isn't involved, is it even an event? Thinking back on those happy times around a big table, laughing at a story that's been told at least a dozen times, I see the grace of gathering. Whether you gather around food or coffee mugs or on living room furniture with family and friends, you see and experience the image of God in another person. Four, when you lie down. And now we come to the end of the day. Consider those last touch points of the day. Sending the last text or DM to the person you are mentoring. Tucking your little ones into bed. Tousling your high schooler's hair and managing a peck on the cheek. Kissing your spouse goodnight. These times offer moments for connection, mentoring, and a good question or two. Did you have a great conversation walking by the way that you could revisit when you sit in your house or when you lie down? This is another place you can show yourself trustworthy and faithful. Follow up with earlier conversations. In Matthew 25, 14 through 30, Jesus told his followers the story of three servants. The master entrusted each with a large amount of money before he left on a long journey. When the master returned, he called each servant to account for his investment work in his absence. To each of the servants who invested diligently and wisely, he declared, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Matthew 25, 21 and 22. How do you hear, well done, good and faithful one, at the end of your life? You work toward a morning that would reflect those words, and then an afternoon, and then the end of this day, and then again tomorrow. As you make it a daily event through the faithfulness of God, it becomes a lifetime event. When you lie down after your last connection points of the day, trust that you served as God's instrument of peace to the best of your ability. Leave the results to Him. When you lie down, enter into the joy of your grace-filled master. Engaging in purposeful conversation by using contemplative questions is a powerful way to make the best use of time with people. And if you happen to be alone, you can pray for those people and prayerfully team up with God to ponder questions and conversations for the next time you interact. That laundry has to get done and the dinner is not going to cook itself, unfortunately. You redeem everyday moments as you bring the Holy Spirit into them. One way to make seemingly mundane moments fruitful is to engage in purposeful conversation by asking contemplative questions and reflecting on earlier answers. You drive to school or work either way. Doesn't it make sense to make the most of the drive? You eat dinner either way. Isn't it the perfect time to ask questions, draw someone out, or create a safe space for conversation? You're most likely involved in a volunteer activity or two in your church and community. How might you show yourself trustworthy and take those questions and resulting conversations deeper? Lean in, include me prayer. Starting a conversation is scary sometimes. And if you're praying that it would actually be a Jesus-filled conversation, it can be scarier still. Almost every time it takes effort and thought 
The great news is that God will guide and steer every conversation with one simple ask. Trust in God's ability and desire to invite you as his instrument to love and invest in those he loves. Trust that God is indeed faithful and good, and part of his faithfulness and goodness is placing you in the life of the person in front of you. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 24. God is always at work. He is always on the move. He is always working out his will and way in people's lives, drawing them to himself. In his gracious sovereignty, he delights to include his people in real, life-changing ways. If you feel intimidated by the prospect of a conversation, walk with confidence, knowing God is for you. He loves the person you are speaking to, and he delights to include his people in his work. So often we are simply catching up with where he already is. An easy way to catch up with Christ is what my pastor Kirk Freeman calls the Include Me Prayer. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, would you include me in the work you are already doing here? Would you give me eyes to see where you are at work, a heart to respond to your prompting, and Holy Spirit-infused words? Are you willing to be included? Ask yourself, what moments or areas of your life seem most mundane? List three. How might you build a habit of asking questions in those three mundane moments? Will you pray the Include Me prayer for seven days and record what God does?